Have you ever wondered what it's actually like to work for some of the biggest stars and celebrities in the world? Maybe you've wondered what it takes to even be a TikTok star. How do you go viral? What content do you create? And how do you find yourself on the platform? Today, we're talking to Amir Yas. I will still attempt to say his last name, Yasai. Um, <laughs> hopefully it was okay. He's going to be telling us uh, all about his journey in being a former celebrity publicist and TikTok star and hopefully answer those questions and even more. So let's go, you guys. If you've ever felt alone, misunderstood, or like your story didn't matter, you've come to the right place. Welcome to Pretty Sure, the podcast where we explore the fun in life's ups and downs. Join me, your host, in a mix of guests from friends to thought leaders, artists, entrepreneurs, and experts for some raw, unfiltered, and frankly, hilarious conversations. We'll chat about our struggles as millennials, the joys and pains of being single or in a relationship, life and biz lessons, and some inspiring takeaways too, because remember, no topic is ever off the table for us. Hi, I'm Sabrina, your new best friend, and every week you can expect kindness, support, and some tough love, because you'll be damn sure I'm going to be calling you out on your shit when you need it most. Pretty sure we're in for a wild ride, so saddle up and let's go! Welcome back, everybody, to the Pretty Sure Podcast. You know, I like to do this weird intro, so welcome back. I have to say that I've officially joined the dark side, and I know people who have followed me since day number one and know me from, like, childhood or whatever, you know, I've been very vocal about how I hate iPhones, how I had the worst experience since, like, 2012, but after a couple of months of a lot of my friends and people just messaging me saying, you should get on Clubhouse, you should actually get on Clubhouse, let's start a room, I have to admit I got tired of it. Sold my old Samsung phone, changed to an iPhone, got Clubhouse, and let me tell you guys, the hype is real. Seriously, in two days, I think I've become probably the most obsessed person. I have met the most incredible people, especially our guests today, and managed to learn from many different topics. And I think I'm probably going to be a convert and never going to go back. So if anyone you know hears me yammering on about Clubhouse, um, probably you can blame all the people that I've met on there. <laughs> but without further ado, I want to introduce you guys to Amir Yas, who is a TikTok celebrity in his own right and also a former Hollywood celebrity publicist. And he's going to talk to us all about everything that he's experienced. So welcome, Amir. Thank you. Oh my God, Sabrina, you're so sweet. And Clubhouse, I don't think I've gotten any sleep in the last two weeks. I'm like constantly on it. And you're like in rooms with like Naomi Campbell, Justin Bieber, and like all the people like you that I've met that are just so down to earth and so fun. Yay. Okay. See, it's the Latina part. You know, we we have those weird like pronunciations that nobody has. So that's why I've actually funny story. You might be able to tell me. I have been told many times that Sabrina is an Arab name. Is it true? Oh, that's a good question. So I'm not quite sure because I'm Persian, but I do know that I think Sabrina maybe is an Egyptian name. I'm not quite sure. I will have to get back to you. I'm just saying this because in Paris, every time I get in an Uber and it's like an Arab driver, you know, we start speaking and they're like, they start speaking to me in Arab and I'm like, I'm sorry, I don't speak Arab. I have no idea what you're telling me. And they're like, oh, that's weird because Sabrina is an Arab name. And I'm like, really? That's the first time I've heard of that. Okay, cool. 
I never heard that either. I mean, I think Latinas sometimes have Middle Eastern features. So I get mistaken for like Argentinian a lot. So like, even though I'm Persian, like, so I think Latin people kind of look like Persians and Middle Eastern people sometimes. Yeah, that's why we get along together. So before we actually dive into all of your personal like life questions, can you please tell me how people find the time to be on Clubhouse all day? Because I'm still baffled. Like I've been three hours on a room, but some people have been on it for like 14 hours straight. And I'm like, how can you do that in front of business? Like, what is your secret? Kind of, I mean, honestly, like, I mean, I'm not trying to call out any of my friends who do this, but I think it's a little unhealthy. Like if you're showering and on Clubhouse and you're eating and you're on Clubhouse and you're watching TV and you're on Clubhouse, it's a little much. Like, I mean, I listen, I did it. Like I was at dinner with my parents with an AirPod in and they were talking and then all of a sudden I had to like interject. And I was like, sorry guys, one second. And I was like, well, your idea is great. Okay, try that. My parents are like, are you seriously on a call the entire dinner? Like they had no idea. So it could be borderline unhealthy. So I don't know. Like you got to find your balance. (laughs) I relate to that because that was me yesterday. But the funniest part was I was with my cousins. They did not know about Clubhouse. So I introduced them to it. And I was sharing an AirPod with my cousin. So I had one on and she had one on. And we were like half in the conversation on Clubhouse and half in the conversation with everyone in the family. And everyone was like, what are you people doing? (laughs) We were like, hold on. We're in a moment. We're in a room. (laughs) Yeah, my family doesn't really understand that. They think I'm insane for being a podcaster, but I love the life. And I know you're a podcaster too, so we'll get to that in a bit. But tell me your story in a nutshell, and then we'll, you know, dive into the questions. Who is Amir? Who is Amir? I can definitely answer that for you. It's been a a journey. You know, I grew up in a very conservative Muslim household and I, you know, came out very late in life. I was in business school when I came out. So, you know, I have an MBA and it's just, I've had an interesting life. I worked as a publicist and I worked with celebrities and fashion weeks and all kinds of different avenues and events on the Oscars, the Grammys. I was always behind the camera. So it's just been weird the last couple of years. I've kind of transitioned to be on camera. I'm like, wait a second. I'm kind of funnier than some of my clients. Clients. So I, you know, so I started doing stand up and then the stand up became kind of on camera work. I've always loved social media. I loved Snapchat. I was like verified on Snapchat before that was really a thing. I, I've always liked social media, but I also have a very addictive personality. So I was like, it's a little unhealthy for me to be so in it. But then the pandemic, I'm like, what else am I doing? You know, so it actually kind of it helped me. <laughs> yeah, 100%. So wait, why did you end up going to business school? Like, did you always want to start a business? Or like, how did you end up there? It's a really great question. So I actually, I've always wanted to open my own restaurant. And like, I know restaurants fail. And obviously with the pandemic, it's like the worst business to go into. But I've always liked like having like almost like the peach pit from like 90210, where all your friends can come and like hang out at your restaurant. Like I always felt like that was so cool. Like when I had clients and they would date like a restaurant tour, it was always like so cool because like free food, free place to hang out. Like I I always thought it was like so magical. So that's why I went to business school. And then when I got there, I fell in love with like, I've always liked film and TV, but I realized, wow, there's like a business side to it. I had done management, but then I started like pitching my own TV show. And like, then I got really involved in like film business. So I have a weird journey, but long story short, MBA was like a nice pause on my life. I was like, I'm going to school, I'm chilling out and I'm kind of refreshing. So it was a good refresh for me. I love that. So wait, how did you end up, you know, writing your own, like pitching your own show and doing all the things in movies like you were talking about? Like, was it random? Did somebody introduce you to it? Were you just like, let's see what happens? Or like, it just feels like completely different to business and wanting to own a restaurant. Very different. So random. My friends were all like in business school were like, when the first day you pitched that you wanted to open a restaurant by like the next 
couple of months, it was like a totally different idea. But I'm very Gemini. So like, I'm like, oh, I'm going to do a podcast. And then I did a podcast with my friend. And then like halfway through, I was like, I don't want to do it anymore. And I just stopped. Like, I'm very like, kind of like that I've had, I've been a real estate agent. I've been a stylist. I've been a manager, publicist. Like I've done all these jobs. So I'm kind of a little bit like fickle, but I also like to know a little bit about everything. So when it came to, I had an idea, basically it's like a scripted, it's an unscripted show where you help people come out of the closet, but not just gay. It's like, if you've lost your job, you want to tell your family you have HIV or cancer or dating an interracial couple. Like these are ways that you still have to come out. That's not queer based. So I was not before the pandemic, but then obviously the pandemic happened. And then in the meantime, I met a writer that wanted to kind of tell my life story as a queer Muslim standup in LA. So that's the story that I've been pitching now, which is kind of exciting. Ooh, wait, I would have loved to watch that coming out show. Are you still planning to do that? Like, is it going to be in the works eventually? Like, what? Where can we find that? I honestly would see that. That sounds so fun. It was something that I just like came up with one day when someone was asking me, I don't know if you ever saw the movie Love, Simon. Did you see that movie? Yes, 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 yes. Okay. There was a scene where like the straight people come out to their parents as straight and like the parents are like having reactions and one mom's like, I wish you were gay. And like that scene was like supposed to be comedic, but I realized I was like, straight people don't come out as straight, but they come out as different things. And that's where the show, I came up with that. And I do want to do it. I have been talking to the Queer Eye guys and everyone mistakes me for JVN. So I was like thinking if me and JVN could do that together, like hosting that show would be very fun. I honestly Mm -hmm. have to say, I was watching one of your videos just today on Instagram where you're talking like, hi, honeys. And I was like, you sound like JVM. This is insane. Yep. I get it all the time. I was at Coachella and these drunk people were like, JVN. And I was wearing a long wig. So I really looked like him. And and like they were like, you have to take a picture with us. You're JVN. And I just did it. I was like, whatever. Like, I'm not going to fight it. (laughs) I'm obsessed. Okay. How did you get into comedy? Because I feel like comedy business you know did you always want to be a comedian was it something that just like randomly you're like okay flavor of the day let's try it out and see what happens I think you're starting to understand my story it's a lot of flavor of the day I try a lot of things like I even during the pandemic I got an LSAT book I was like maybe I'll go to law school and I was like what am I doing so I think I'm just I have a very like interesting way of of, like kind of exploring different avenues but yeah I wanted a bigger community in LA. LA is like really hard to meet people, especially when you're in your thirties. So I was like, I'll just go to this open mic and try comedy. I've always like made people laugh in Ubers, et cetera. And I thought, well, why not like actually learn how to do it? So I went to this open mic and it was like very loving. And a lot of the shows I've done, people are very homophobic or very like, you know, very racist and you have to kind of deal with that in comedy. But these, that first room was very supportive. And, and I realized I was like, it's kind of cathartic to talk about my issues with my parents or family or like coming out and people found it to be very funny. And it actually helped me a lot as well. It was very therapeutic. So I was like, well, I kind of like this. And then obviously when the pandemic happened, I'm, I don't like Zoom shows. I like a live audience. I like to kind of like feel their energy. But yeah, I've, I always loved comedy. And it's always been a dream of mine to have like a queer Muslim do like a comedy special like on Netflix. Like that would be so epic. Oh my God. Well, fingers crossed that happens soon. Okay. I have so many questions, but one that I found really interesting, that's something you mentioned, you know, you have to deal with racism and all of those things when you're a comedian. How do you deal with that? Because obviously having people behind the screens do that is like kind of easier to deal with. But if you're standing up and you're somewhere speaking and there's someone saying racial slurs to you, like how do you integrate that into your comedy? Like do you just say, oh, move on? Like how do you deal with that? Well, there was this one like 
of it usually is like a straight white man. That's just generally the demographic. I'm not being racist. It's generally a white straight comedian who's made fun of me. So that's just my experience. So every time I go up after that, like there was one guy that was like, oh, I hope, you know, this comedian that's going to go up like after me isn't going to blow me up or something. And I was like, oh, God, like the terrorist joke. It's like, okay. So I went up and I was like, ladies, when you're going to your cars, beware of Mr. Rape Culture himself. And so like, I just basically just called him out and he looked like he was going to cry because the whole room was laughing at him, not with him. So I was like, sorry. Yeah. And then another time I went up and a guy was like making fun of me being gay and was like, oh, you love to suck dick. And I was like, I went up and I was like, at least I know how to do it. You clearly aren't doing it well, as I've heard from the bathrooms. So I'm like, don't like you can come to the queer people, make fun of us, but we know how to respond very well. He looked like he was going to cry as well. Sorry, not sorry. <laughs> oh my god, honestly, I'm like a big fan of you just from hearing what you're saying Thank right now. You. It's so funny. Okay, question. Thanks. So you've changed a lot of things. You've done a lot of things. You've tried. You've wanted to do a million things. Did that ever make you feel like, holy shit, what am I doing with my life? Am I ever going to find something that I like? Every day, Sabrina, you literally understand me. I literally wake up every day and I'm like, what am I doing? I literally just recorded like 25 TikTok videos and like, what am I even doing? Yeah, I have that, you know, problem. And I think the thing that I stuck to the most is my podcast. And I'm like, you know, I keep wanting to like be like, okay, I'm gonna move on to something else. And I'm like, no, this is like good. Like you're having conversations, you're moving the needle forward. Like, and I think that's important. And I also like, once I realized why I was doing things, I was less likely to be like, what am I doing with my life? Because my why has always been to destigmatize mental illness in the queer community and minimize shame through education and humor. That's always been. So every time I'm like, oh, what am I doing? I'm like, okay, I'm making people feel less ashamed. And that's like really beautiful. And when I get DMs from like Afghanistan or Iran and people are like, I'm in the closet, but I look at your videos and I could imagine a day where I could do that. Like that to me is like, is why I do what I do. And even though I don't like, Listen, I don't get paid a million dollars to do it, but for me, like, that's not the point. And I think that's why the show is great that I'm pitching that because obviously that is something that would make me money. I just want to take up space in a way that I don't think people that look like me or talk like me or act like me have ever been able to take up space. So that's kind of long winded answer is like taking up space. I think that helps with that question. Yeah. Oh my God. It seems like obviously you're in, how can I say this? You're in one of the demographics that's like the most targeted, right? Like you're queer, you are Muslim, you are, you know, all of these things. How have you dealt with that, you know, growing up? It's not easy. I mean, intersectionality, it sounds really good and it looks good in a textbook. Like, oh, I'm queer and I'm Muslim and I'm Persian. And it like, people are like, wow, that's so interesting. Or or what, what a lot of people probably tell you as well, exotic, which I, I hate that, where it's like people kind of fetishize, right? Oh my God. In France, literally in France, every man I ever dated was like, oh, I love your accent in French. You're so sexy Latina. And I'm like, Jesus, if I hear that once more, I will literally like slap your face. It's crazy. And then the the lack of like education to people will say Habibi to me. And I'm like, that's Arabic. I'm Persian. It's a different language. Like, and I dated this. I went on a date, not dated. I went on one date with this guy because he was awful. He was from Jersey. And he was like, well, why did you get so upset when I said Habibi? I was like, I wasn't upset. I was just correcting you. Like it's Persians don't say that. Like it's a different language. And he was like, well, I don't really get it. Why are you being so particular? You're all just Middle Eastern. And I was like, oh, what part of New York are you from? And he was like, I'm from New Jersey. I was like, oh, you're upset about a county difference right? And you're saying that this is a totally different country. They're not even bordering each other. So like, you're this... 
and I just think that sometimes white people don't understand. Like, I literally got a DM from someone who I'm friends with. Like, I know her, and she's like, she's. I'm not gonna like name her, but she has a very big platform, and she should know better. She literally messaged me, Sabrina, and was like, "I love following you. You're so funny, but I'm like kind of scared of Muslims." I'm like, "Why do I have to make you feel better about your fear of Muslims?" I'm like, "What?" Like, that's like, why do I have to educate you? And like, and it's crazy because I was like messaging her and I first wrote like, oh, I'm sorry. And I was like, why am I apologizing to her? Like, I I was like, delete that message. Like, because sometimes when you're other in the world, not even in America, in the world, like people kind of expect you to apologize. And I know that I'm white passing, but like, if I go to the airport, I'm going to get screened. Oh, ooh, that was a random occurrence. No, it's because my name's Amir Hassan and my mom wears a headscarf. Like, I'm not stupid. Like, there's a lot of stuff. Like, when 9-11 happened, um, I don't want to go on a long tangent, but when 9-11 happened, like, people at school asked me if I knew what happened. Like, why would you ask a 14-year-old, you know, or, or people, you know, like, one of my friends, like, she's also Muslim, and her friend was like, I can't come over because my mom said you might have a bomb under your bed. First of all, like, why would, what? Like, why would a fourth grader have a bomb under her bed? And also, we live in a better neighborhood than you, sweetie. So there would be no bombs under our bed. It's restoration hardware, honey. Like, don't forget it. Like, I just, it's like this idea that, like, Muslims, like, people would be like, oh, your mom, like, she doesn't want to wear a headscarf. I'm like, oh, don't get it twisted. It's Hermes. It's Louis Vuitton. It's your whole salary on her head, bitch. Like, you know, don't like, listen, I speak for people who have been silenced and I've been silenced as well. I was 14 years old and I walked into a stadium with like 300 students and they asked people, literally everyone stared at me like I somehow had done what happened on 9-11. I mean, that's crazy as a 14 year old to have to carry that, you know, and to also have to smile through it and be like, oh, these are my friends. And it's like, no, they're not your friends. They're white people and they're different. And they're, you know, and again, it's not every white person. It's people that have not done the work, right? They have not like educated themselves. People that say, ooh, sexy Latina, or I want an Aladdin on my arm. It's like, uh, not the best way to go about it, you know? <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. It's interesting that you say that because honestly, I'm speaking from my experience. You'll tell me if it's been your experience. It's never been as bad, you know, as like with 9-11 and all of the things, but especially in the States, it's known like, ooh, Mexicans, they come and like they do the dirty work and whatnot. But I kind of desensitized myself when I was growing up and I just saw it as like, oh, that's normal. You know, like whenever I was in Germany or something, I tried living over there and people would say, oh, like, where's your donkey? Where's your hat? And I'd be like, what are you talking about? Like we're in the 21st century. But I never kind of like realized what was going on until just last year, you know, with the whole Black Lives Matter thing. And I was like, holy shit, this has been like an issue my whole life and I've always ignored it. Did, do you think like for you last year things changed as well in terms of like, okay, I need to be more vocal. I need to change. I need to speak and start realizing all the things that happened to you growing up or have you always been that way? I've kind of always been that way. I've always spoke, like I spent a lot of, like, even though I'm so extroverted now, a lot of my childhood, I was very quiet and kind of doing my own thing. I was kind of that like off kilter child. And then when I started getting my voice, I was like, I don't want to shut up ever again. Like, so I think I spoke up a lot. I used to have live panels about like, cause there's a lot of racism and homophobia, even within the queer community. Like people will message, like I've gotten so many messages on Grindr where someone's like, Hey, sand N word, like Middle Eastern. It's like a derogatory word for Middle Eastern. I've heard people say, are you going to blow me up if I come over? I've had people send me turban photos, like the emoji being like, Oh, this looks like you and stuff. And it's like, and that's all within the queer community. So I've tried to destigmatize some of those things, but a lot of gay men think they can't be racist because they're gay. And I just, I want to be here to say, if that's all we step away from this podcast, 
podcast is that you can absolutely be racist if you're gay. Just want to make that very clear. So, and, and you know, I met the woman that started the BLM movement a couple years ago, and it's like what she said was really stayed with me because as an activist, it's very exhausting to have to educate people and, you know, go through all this stuff and like relive it and get angry and emotional and all that stuff. And she was like, you know, some days you have to just get your hair done and get your nails done and not talk about it. And I do that. Like, I don't talk about it every day. Like, obviously, when the Asian the, the Asian attacks happen, I vocalize it. I I lift it up. But I can't live in it. Like, some people can live in the news cycle for 24-7. I can't do that. Like, I don't need to know every grueling detail because it, I'm an empath and it really stays on me. So... I definitely have to practice a lot of self-care to do it. And and like a lot of activists, like there's this whole thing in Ghana right now where they're shutting down the LGBT center there. They're like prosecuting gay people. I can't read that stuff too much because I'm going to get really, it's going to really weigh down on me. So yeah, it's crazy. But yeah, the last year did change it because I saw people that I've never seen out, you know, like really, really just like white privileged people that didn't have to be there and they were like there for the first time. And, you know, people are just a lot smarter, I hope. You know, there's a lot of more dumb people then there's like a lot smarter people as well. So it kind of hopefully balances out. <laughs> I mean, I honestly hope so. We can't have a repeat of last year, right? Like this year moving forward has to be better, hopefully. We really need to move forward. And I just wanted to address something you said about Mexicans in America. I, you know, there's a show on Netflix. I, I think it's made in Mexico. I can't remember the name, but it shows Mexico City. It's like really rich, successful Mexico City, like kind of like the hills but oh in i know which one you're talking about yeah yeah, yeah. yeah that and, and i love that because a lot of people online i saw a lot of white people comment like i didn't know mexicans look like that i'm like you have this like very narrow image of what it is to be a mexican and and it's like it's so layered and it's like even with middle eastern people like my sister and i don't look alike my cousins and i don't look alike like i have uncles that have green eyes like y- there's so many variations and just white people just i'm like you guys are the ones that look the same <laughs> Like, no offense, but like, we are the ones that actually have a lot going on because there's a lot of mixing. So that's not being derogatory or rude. It's just European mixes are generally looking the same mixed together. We're getting like different varieties. So I just think it's here in your head and it's kind of unkind. Don't say it to someone who's foreign, you know, like if it sounds kind of weird, it always starts like, I don't want to offend you. Well, then don't say it. Oh my God, those are the worst. It's like, oh, no offense, but it's like, holy mother, what are you going to tell then me? Don't right? say it. Like, and I understand there's certain people that just don't have a filter, then that's fine. But like, it, just think about like if you would want to hear that. So that's all I'm saying. It's not really that hard. Yeah. Oh my God. No, honestly, I totally relate to you and I love everything that you've said. I also have a question for you. So you're very vocal in like the gay community, the queer community. You said you came out a little bit late in life. Did you always knew you were gay or did you just kind of like eventually discover it? Like talk to me a little bit about that process. Cause I know it must be hard for you coming from a Muslim family and all of those beliefs and everything. So like, let's talk a little bit about that. Absolutely. So I grew up in in Laguna Beach. For people who know, there was like a show about it, of course, but it's a very gay-friendly neighborhood. Our neighbors were gay, like they would hold hands. And I remember early on, my parents were like, that's not okay, right? Like that is not, allowed and it's like it's kind of frowned upon and it's little comments they were never like rude to the person but they were like oh that's not okay like and I remember one of our neighbors like would wear a kimono and get his mail and he I just remember being like three or four and being like he's fabulous like I knew something about him was like different than my dad right like 
So I think for me, it's always been there. And I think part of the reason I retreated away from everyone and other men was that I was just like, I don't know what I feel. And I was also very religious. So I like lived in a Muslim dorm at USC. Like I was very, very religious. So that was kind of a block. Like I remember someone inviting me to their dorm to watch Legally Blonde at midnight, which is like the most obvious booty call of all time. And I didn't even notice. So it's like, you know, and I I remember leaving his place and being like, that was weird. Like he was holding, hugging me. And like, it was, but I was like, we're friends. It's nothing. Like you have a lot of denial. And so, yeah, I think I always knew I was a little different. And I would always like, it was weird. I would always have like a crush on the most popular girl. Not that I was like unattractive or anything, but it was always someone that was like, like, oh, I love her. And people would be like, okay, but like, why don't you like someone who likes you? Like, and it was, I think that was just like, a. and I've always been a quite feminine. And there was also like another guy in our school that was gay as well, very out. And I remember being like, oh, he's too much. Because I was kind of jealous that I couldn't really step into whatever I thought it was. I didn't really have the words for it. But when I went to college and then at the end of college, like business school, like really helped me to come out of that closet per se. Yeah. Wow. That sounds like such an interesting experience. And it's kind of funny that you said that because, you know, I interviewed some amazing drag queen, I need attention, which yes, her name does sound like I need attention. That was like the whole thing about her. I was like, I love you. I love drag queens. Um, <laughs> and she was saying the same thing. You know, she was like back in the day when I wasn't out, I used to date like the most popular girl. So I just find that interesting because like you mentioned, it's like you're looking for the unattainable, right? It's like with the damaged people are like with all of us that are looking for the emotionally unavailable person, right? It's like, oh, they're never going to hurt me. So like, I'm going to pine after them, right? You Well, you almost have like control because it's like, well, you're not, it's like kind of like, you're not going to get her. And I remember like when I got prom king, a bunch of my friends were like, well, like now you're on her radar. And I was like, oh shit, like I don't want to be on her radar, right? Like I, I was like, and then I, I realized I was like quickly became really good friends with her and like was kind of like, oh, you're at a distance, you know? And it's like, you play these games and you look back and I'm like, okay, it was obvious as day to most people, right? Like most people I came out to were like, duh. But then my family had the same denial that I did. They were like, wait a second, what? Like, it's not a norm. Like, and statistically, every family is going to have someone who's queer. That's just like, if you do the numbers. So either they're not telling you, the joke is always like, either it's you or someone else that's not telling you. So for me, it was like, I was one of the, and my there's another one in our family, but like, he doesn't discuss it. So like that, and so I was the only one that, and then I was also like, I came out on stage. I was like publicly talking about on Instagram before I came out to my family. So like, it was, there was a lot of complications that like arise from that, you know, because I didn't really, it's messy. And the reason I want to do this coming out show is because it's messy no matter what it is. Whether you are coming and saying, oh, I'm dating someone who is a person of color and our family is very white and like very Confederate, like, or if you've lost your job, like you have to like, there's a lot of shame that you have to kind of debilitate through and muddle through. So it ain't easy. It's not, it's not, that's why I say the coming out we see in movies and TV shows are not serving most of the queer community. Because when you come out and your family's like, love ya, let's have a pride parade. That's not most people's experience, you know? So it's not really, it looks good and it feels good to see like the coming out and the Yas Queen, but that's not everyone's experience. So that's one of the reasons I got into writing and being in entertainment because I want to show another side to that. Like you can have a terrible coming out and you can still come out slowly and it be a process and find your way back to your friends and family. So I think there's a different story to be told. Yeah, that's so powerful that you mentioned that. What actually made you want to come out at that time, right? Because like you kind of knew you had an inkling, but what was the tipping point or what was the thing that you were like, I literally have to do this or like I can't continue on? 
It was like twofold. Like I had a long-term relationship where he wasn't out to his dad and I wasn't out to my parents or my sister. And like, it was like always an elephant. And like, I always say the pink elephant in our relationship because there was always something that was like preventing us from moving forward. Right. So that was really annoying because it was like, okay, well, we're almost like self-sabotaging ourselves. And then I also got booked on the real world reboot, which was on Facebook watch. And I went through the whole process and then I realized, Oh my God, I'm not out. And they're going to make me come out on a show. And I was like, I can't do this. So I backed out and that was, that would have been a really great opportunity for me to get more visibility. And so again, the show wasn't like uber successful, but it still would have been like amazing to be on a show that I watched as a kid. And I like loved. So when I missed that opportunity, I was like, like I missed that because I wasn't being authentic. And I, and then I'm also telling other people to be authentic and I felt like a fraud. So it was like three things. It was like all those things together where I was like, what am I even doing? Yeah. Oh my God. Honestly, that would have been so fun to watch though. The real world to you on Facebook watch. So interesting. But how did your family react? So I know you're talking about like how at the beginning they were like, oh, we don't know. Like, are you sure? And all of those things. Are they better now? How's your relationship with them? And also how's your relationship with religion? Because I know you said that that was a blockage factor for you to actually come out. Yeah, I think for me, like, well, I did move home in, in April. And so I came back home. So that was like interesting that we were in a pandemic together. And I think that helped us to work through some of the issues. And again, my sexuality doesn't come up very regularly or no one's really talking about it. And it's kind of like, I don't know what you're doing in your room. And it's kind of like that. But there is a little bit more freedom to kind of be myself. And, you know, I've worn nail polish around my family and like I, they've kind of got, I've dyed my hair different colors and they've kind of like accepted it. I mean, they, they're still not going to be like, wow, let's go to pride, but I'm okay with that. Like I have a found family of queer friends that those are my found family. And then I have my own family. And, you know, my sister said some out of pocket things and my mom said, but I, you know, I was watching someone tell their coming out story on TV and it was very similar to mine. And they were like, you know, it took me like 27 years to come out. Sometimes you have to give your family a little grace to like, you know, and moving forward, I'm not even repeating what they said. Cause I'm like, okay, it doesn't really need to get airtime because it's like, they said things that in that moment felt right to them. And I, when I came out, I kind of disassociated myself from it. Cause I didn't want to be like, Oh my God, did it? you know, cause I wanted them to have their authentic reaction. And of course, it's that's a, to get to that place is a lot of mental work. I, I did therapy and then we even did family therapy. And, you know, I didn't talk to my mom for months and went to family therapy. Like there's a lot of stuff that you're going to have to give up. Like it's not going to be perfect, but just give your family a little more time than like the five minutes we see on a show, right? The kid comes down, I'm coming out. And the family's like, I already knew, love ya, let's go get sushi. Like that's not really most people's experience. And I actually consulted on a show that was based off of Love, Simon called Love, Victor. And they had a scene where, you know, one of the characters like was like, you know, there was a scene with coming out. I can't really like get into the specifics because it's like the show hasn't come out yet. But there was scenes where I was like, y'all can't do that. Y'all can't say that because people are going to watch this and go, I, that's not my experience. So you need to color that in there. So just keep that in mind, like for anyone who's creating content to realize like, even if your coming out story is brilliant, like your parents loved it, they gave you a rainbow flag. I'm not telling you not to tell your story, but just realize that a lot of people have a lot of trauma around that. So when you tell your story, it's kind of like people are like, well, thanks a lot. Like, you know, you, you kind of invalidate other people's experiences, even though I understand that's your experience. But when you go, it was perfect. My parents love me. I'm like, you know, like I had an ex where his dad punched him in the face. If that's someone's like, I'm not saying you have to like change your story. But when you're like, when I see YouTube stars who are white and privileged and rich going, well, I had a perfect coming out. And I'm like, well, why wouldn't you? <laughs> like, 
everything's in line for you and you're also monetizing your coming out. So I don't really get why it's a problem. Yeah. Oh my God. Totally agree with you. Actually, funny story. I have a cousin who we all in the family knew he was gay, but it took him LAQ, I think until he was like 27, 28 to tell his parents. And they do have a complicated relationship, but you know, I think it's getting better. And from the outside looking in, I'm like, well, you know, it didn't go as bad as he planned. So it's kind of nice to see that my aunt and uncle, even though they're super religious and they're like, oh my God, that's like terrible that he did that. But like, he's our son. We love him. It's kind of like nice to see the evolution of, oh my God, I would never have a son like that. And then figuring out they have a son and they're like, okay, well now we have to deal with this because it's our son. Right. So I feel like what you said is super important. Like one story, you know, it always takes one person or one story. Like one of my uncles has three sons and was like, if any of my kids were gay, I would beat them up. And then he had one gay assistant who really shifted his perspective. So it only takes one person to really shift your perspective. Sorry, I I just wanted to fit that in. (laughs) No, that's perfect. I wanted to ask you, there's this word that's being thrown out all the time, you know, be an ally, be an ally, be an ally. For you, what does it mean for someone to be an ally, whether it's like for the foreigner community, for the racist community, for anti-racist, sorry, not racist community, anti-racist and queer community? Like, what does it mean for you and how can people be allies? (laughs) Not supporting racism here, just FYI, people. I knew what you meant. I was like, racist community? They are not allies. My panic in the eyes was like, no. It was really cute. Your panic, you were like, ugh. I was like, don't worry, I'll help you out. You got this. Yeah, I think, you know, an ally, the word can be very, like, kind of triggering to a lot of people in the queer community or, like, whatever community, the Muslim, like, because people throw that word around a lot. They're like, I'm an ally. And then, like, they're quickly like, ugh, can you stop posting about it? We're over it. You know, when when eight people get murdered in a spa, like this Asian hate does not move on. People are getting attacked regularly. It's happening. And, and a lot of times people don't understand that a lot of foreigners, immigrants, especially in America, the way it works is like you don't say things because you're kind of scared of the police. I have friends who grew up in communities where you don't call the ambulance unless your hand's ripped off. Like you're scared of the police. You're scared of firefighters. You're scared of anyone who you're worried about possibly being deported. So you don't really trust like the government. So I think this idea that like, oh, whatever, like, you would report it if it's a problem. That's very white privilege. Like, a lot of people don't report it, whether it's assault, whether it's rape, like, because they, they're just like, oh, it's embarrassing. I'm going to bring shame on the family, whatever. So keep that in mind. But yeah, I think ally is good if you really are an ally and you've checked your privilege. Like, when I go into a, a very trans space, I'm like, I'm not like, oh, I get it. I totally understand. You're never going to know what it's like to be trans unless you are. Like, and no one's ever going to, un- I'm never going to understand what it's like to be la- a Latina woman in Europe. Like, I'm not going to go, yeah, yeah, I get it. But a lot of men, especially when they're allies, they're like, I get it. I get it. I understand you. So basically shut up. And I experienced that a lot on Clubhouse. I'll be sharing. And then the guy's like, I totally get it. I totally get it. I'm like, you're a white straight man who's a millionaire. How do you get it? Like, I, I just, it's like, you can empathize, but you can't say I get it, right? And so I think allies need to really be careful with their word choice. I've heard a lot of people say they're allies, and then they're like, oh, what position are you in the bedroom? Like, aggressive with me, and very, like, kind of, like, almost, like, fetishizing being queer. I'm like, that's not being an ally. That's being invasive. Like, you know, this idea that, like, oh, um, you must love how to love to have sex. You must love to drink and do drugs. It's like, you, you watch one movie, and then you're like, oh, I know queer people. So when you're an ally, just be aware of what you're saying and how you're saying it. Like, because I think allies kind of lose their way a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I keep saying totally. I don't know why I always say totally. I need to find a better word to say totally. So I'm going to say 100%. <laughs> 
I like it. I'm in California. We say it all the time. Literally, totally like, I mean, sometimes I listen to my recordings and I'm like, I literally said, oh, there it is again. I literally said a hundred times and I'm like, that doesn't make any sense to what I'm talking about. But anyways. You know, it's funny because, you know, whenever I travel and whenever people meet me and they don't know exactly where I'm from, they're always like, oh, you're from California. And I'm like, no, I've never lived in California. But for some reason, I have a Californian accent. So it's just... have that vibe. Yeah, I could see that. It's it's really funny. Who knows? Maybe one day I'll move to California. We'll see. Or like the Vancouver or something. Okay. Let's talk business now because I know you have a very interesting past as a celebrity publicist. How did you get started in there from business, comedy, and all of those things? Was it a lucky break? Was it someone that you knew that was like, oh, you should do this? Tell me everything. Actually, you know, I don't believe in lucky breaks. I think it's like you make things happen and then they kind of meet you in the middle. So when I was at USC, I was initially a pharmacy major. And then I was like, I don't like biology. I can't do it. Like, it's really difficult. So I was like, no. So I changed to entertainment PR. And then I I went into all this is like the days before LinkedIn, you go on all these like web browsers and you find the internships. So I worked for this like amazing company. I'm really sad they went out of business because it was really a cool model. So basically, it was like Netflix for partying. So you paid a subscription, you you had access to A-list parties in LA and Miami and New York and Chicago. It's called Gen Art. And we also auditioned for Project Runway. So literally my first day, I was with Paris Hilton and Nicole Richie doing New York, LA Fashion Week. Like, it was crazy. Like, I just loved the problem solving of it. I loved, like, just that you'd have a party with 300 people and then 500 people showed up and you had to figure it out and call the fire marshal. Like, I just loved the problem solving. But after a while, it gets tiring. Like, you wear all black, you don't eat, you're trying to hide from photos. People call you at 4 a.m. because they got arrested or they want pot or they want a dress. Like, you know, I delivered a belt on a plane. Like, I mean, it's just crazy. Like, the job is insane. Like, I worked with housewives. Like, I talked about it on, you know, TikTok. That's why I kind of went viral because I was talking about, like, the other side of it. You know, I worked with Michael B. Jordan and, like, you know, those kind of, like, celebrities, people really want, like, that inside look. But honestly, it's a lot of... It's an expensive babysitter. You are in their house waiting for their packages. You are there. Yes, he walked around shirtless once in a while. It was great. But you don't... You get paid nothing and you have access. Like, I had the nicest things and I literally couldn't pay my rent. Like, I had, like, a Birkin and I couldn't pay my rent. It was just... It's a very bizarre job. So yeah, for anyone that wants to do it, like you have to love it. Like, and I loved it for so long. Like I loved having the access. I loved, I loved hiding at the Oscars, like behind the red carpet. I mean, it was just, it's a cool job, but, and you had a lot of power. Like when people were doing interviews, I loved stepping in and being like, you can't ask that. Stop. Like I could stop an interview. So that was kind of cool. And then gifting suites, you go to the gifting suite, they give you iPads. You're like, oh my, and celebrities never want the stuff. So I had so much free shit. Like it was crazy. But yeah, it's a job. It's it, like any other job. It's not like glamorous. It's hard. But you do become friends with these people because, you know, celebrities are lonely people. They don't really have a lot of friends. They can't trust a lot of people. So they're generally friends with people they pay. So you do become friends with them. And that is kind of cool. Like I've seen Nicole Richie out and she's like, hey, bitch. And I'm like, oh, my God, that's kind of cool. Like that she remembers me. <laughs> Oh my god, I love all those inside scoops and stories. See, this is something I've read a ton of books because I'm like a big fan of like make not make believe like fiction books that are based on kind of like real life. And everything that you just described literally made me think of I can't remember the name of the book, but it's from the series of The Devil Wears Prada. You know, it's Emily's story. And I'm like, you literally sound like that. Cause have you read it? I haven't, but they're doing a movie. I'm excited. 
Oh my God, no way. I need okay. to see that movie. Okay. I read the book and it was so cool. And it literally was talking about what you're saying. You know, like it's like all these celebrities and you 2 a.m., 3 a.m., they wake you up and all of those things. So it's fascinating to know that those things are actually based on true life. What's the craziest thing that ever happened to you? Because you've had a lot, but the top one or two. What's something that I, I think the NDAs are definitely expired. So I have to think about. I think the craziest thing, I mean, that plane, like that extreme obsession with having the belt on a plane like we had to buy the belt a ticket like that was crazy and they didn't wear the belt like that was insane i mean i think the craziest story i'll just tell you this and it's gonna make me look crazy but i remember i worked at this internship and they were so so mean to me like she literally i remember one time i delivered salads and she was like oh i don't have enough dressing like you have to go back to the restaurant like 20 minutes away and get dressing i was like that's insane. Like there, there was so much privilege. So on my last day, I was getting food for everyone. And they were just so mean to me that day. And it was like my last day. And I dropped the salads. And I literally they were on the street. And I just like put them back in the salad. And I, I was like, I mean, it's not my finest moment. But I like licked one of the sal- like chickens and put it back in. And they were all like, we love our food. It was so delicious. And I was like, it was all over the ground. Uh, that was not my finest moment secret sauce. yeah secret sauce and it was funny because everyone was like we loved it it was so delicious and i was like oh my god if they knew that was not my finest moment but i think also for me was like we i can't tell you who but i'll tell you we had to we like literally had to get this person like a girlfriend like we had to like there was like meetings with their publicist and we had to be like okay is she pretty enough what movie does she have coming out it was like the whole taylor swift like pr thing where they like align people for relationships like I was like, oh my God, like I'm in the room as they're doing this. Like that is crazy. And I also was there when Childish Gambino was producing Atlanta. Like there's a really cool, like where you're like, oh my God, like you're there. Like I was there when Michael B. Jordan got Creed. Like it's cool to see like now they're like mega stars and they were famous at the time, but they weren't like A-list. So it's kind of cool to see that progress. Oh, and then I also, this is another funny one. I saw a bunch of people fighting over like gift bags. We had like Tiffany and Co gift bags and they were like, hundred dollar keychains these ladies were literally wearing like head-to-toe designer and they were fighting over these keychains and i remember like the ceo of netflix was there and he was like you can have my gift bag like he was offering like the ceo of netflix was offering his gift back to these crazy ladies i was like they were literally going to fight and they took it they took it from him literally took it from the ceo of netflix they were like give us your gift bag now and i was like and i told him i was like i'm so mortified like i can give you another gift bag like yes that was kind of fun people are crazy oh and one last story i did an event for rachel zoe where she requested cornish hens remember rachel zoe she's like a a stylist she wanted specific cornish hens nobody touched the food okay and then like usually the brands will give the publicist like a free candle or something and they were like no and then jamie king was there she's an actress she took like five gift bags she was like give me another one give me another one and i was like she was literally like fighting me for these gift bags it was just so shocking i was like you can just buy it it's a candle like I oh celebrities crazy yeah God. But you know what? A lot of people like that are obsessed with the free stuff. I don't know what it is, but I can totally relate because I used to work in fashion and I was like behind the scenes in uh, fashion shows and showrooms and everything. And I kid you not, people would go bonkers over like little lint chocolates. Like I still remember it like it was yesterday. Like we had this ratchet super like the cheapest lint that you can find that we bought them like by the box or whatever it is, we would put them out and people would be like, can I take some? And they would like stuff their bags. And I'm like, you are literally wearing like the rarest Hermes bag and like head to toe couture. And you're asking us if you can take lint, like the lint store is right next door. Like, what are you talking about? 
I think the richer you are, the more ridiculous you are. Because I remember like people would fight me when I wouldn't give them the validated parking because they were there for like five hours. I'm like, you, we can only validate for four hours. And they're they're driving out with a Ferrari. I'm like, I don't like I don't understand. I'm like, what? That's so cheap. Oh I, just, I love I that. Why did you leave that world behind? Because I know you said you left uh, publicity in 2019. So why did you leave that? You either leave or you die. <laughs> there's no way out of PR. Like, there's no way out. So I was like, I'm out. Like, I, you just, you put so much of yourself and it's not reflected. And like, again, when clients are not doing well, the first person they fire is their publicist. You know, you don't get credit. Like, they're just like, celebrities are like, it's kind of like, you know, in school when like, if you get an A, your parents are like, oh, I'm so amazing. And then if, if like, you get to see that they're like, the teacher sucks. Like, you're kind of like the teacher. Like, you don't get any credit. Like, when they do well, when there's no, like, when there's no scandal, the publicist has done their job. When you hear about it, they're not doing their job. So obviously, like, someone's in trouble, right? Like, because there were so many scandals that like, no one knows about like hospital visits, like da, 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 rehabs. Like people have no idea because we kept it so tight. And like, you know, like it's weird. Like you literally have the person's urologist number. You have their mistress's number. You have, I mean, it's crazy. It's just weird. It's bizarre. Like you, you're talking to the wife and then the mistress calls and you're like on the two. Uh, I don't know. I'm just like this. I can't do this anymore. <laughs> oh my god was it because yeah. you're kind of you know kind of what i'm getting from you is that you weren't seeing the point of it all right like you weren't doing your why you weren't like following your real purpose did you want something more real did you even have an idea what you wanted to do after that well i wanted to get into like on-camera hosting and work and what i was working at a pr firm and you know the more auditions i went on and the more instagrams i was doing my boss was like you can't be so visible because people don't trust the publicist who's like you know out there like you know, my clients are trying to avoid press. I was like, I want more press. So it's like, it's like a hard job if you want fame. It's going to be really hard for you because that's not really the job. Is like about hiding. You know, like you're holding your back. You're you're coming in on an interview and you're stopping it, mm-hmm. or like you know, like yeah. you're not really there to like really be seen. So I, I was just like, why am I hiding? I'm tired of hiding. I'm going to step in the, in front of the camera. Okay. We didn't even get to talk about TikTok, but I have a really good question for you because you've been behind the scenes and you've helped these people kind of like get famous. So for people that are out there and, you know, maybe their biggest dream where they're like, I want to be famous. Doesn't matter how like TikTok famous, Instagram famous, legit famous, business famous. What are your top tips for people to get on their merry way to stardom it ain't too much of a merry way it's a lot of blood sweat and tears and anyone who's like a content creator knows and i'm sure you know with the podcast you put so much into stuff it's a lot of work it lo- anything that looks easy when people see my tiktok oh wow you're so good with content i'm like you don't see me banging my head against the wall like what am i gonna do today anything that looks effortless that's what you want it to look like like when you watch serena williams play do you want to see her grunting and like really tired and like falling on the ground no you want to see her like damn this woman is amazing so i think it's the same with content creation it's like for me, like I got on TikTok with nothing to lose. It was February. I was like, whatever. Like Tom Hanks had coronavirus. I was like, the world's falling apart. I'm just going to get on this. And I just kind of like, I realized early on, I was like, I don't want to do the dances. I'm not doing any of the Noah Beck. Like I don't have like a fit body. So I was like, I need to find my own niche. So find your, that's my first tip. Find your brand, find your own niche. And don't like try to like be something else and stop trying to go viral because let me tell you, I've gone viral many times and it's actually a curse because then you're only looking for that. You're like, oh my God, I need to make this video pop. And every time I went viral, it was kind of an accident. 
It was me being authentic. It was me being random. It was me being like myself. So be yourself and stop trying to go viral and stop trying to make money on TikTok. Just have a good time. Like relax. Like find another job because just have a good time. Like if you're trying to make $80,000 a post, they're not doing that anymore. That's Noah Beck. Like that's Charlie D'Amelio. That's Addison Rae. Like they're already doing that. And if you want to do the kind of shit, like, okay, like, but how are you influencing change? Like those people are great but they're not influencing any sort of change but entertainment, which is fine. I'm not saying everyone has to be influential, but if you really want to be an influencer and a content creator, make some change. And they don't do that. They just go, they dance and it's fun to watch, but like they're not really making an impact on society. And for me, like having a million, I have friends who have two, three, four million followers, but they don't have engagement rates like I do. So if you have followers that are engaged and like you and want to comment on stuff and be involved, that's way better than having... 500 million followers that don't really care about you. So just keep that in mind and stop trying to... And like I always tell people, like every time I teach a masterclass, they're like, I want a million followers. Okay, but for what? Do you have a product? Like, do you just want a million followers? Like, what's your goal? Because you can get a million followers, just put your tatas on Instagram. Like, I, it's not rocket science. So I, yeah, I, I, just find your why. <laughs> I love that you mentioned that because this is, again, a conversation that I was having with my mom yesterday. I randomly found this Latina girl, this Mexican girl. I don't even remember her name because I found her by accident. I think she has like 14 million followers. All she does is post pictures of like her butt and her body. And I was trying to decipher it with my mom. I was like, does this person literally have followers just because she's showing her booty or like what's happening? Like, I don't see anything happening there. And my mom was like, yeah. And so it wasn't that I was critiquing her, but I was just like, that must be so sad, you know, like know that you don't have anything other to bring to this world other than, you know, here's my booty, give me a hundred thousand likes. Right. So I totally agree. And I love your point of saying like, it's better to be influential than to have the followers. Cause again, what do you want to do with like a million followers if no one buys anything from you? Like tomorrow you release something. Go ahead. When also like on top of that point, like if, yeah, like again, if someone wants to put their booty out there and own it, good for you. But the fact is, if your followers are mainly male, you're not really going to get the brand deals you want anyways. Like, Because I had a client who had like 3 million followers. It was like all the boobs and the butt shots. And we could get her like a Dodgers deal and like, you know, Buffalo Wild Wings and like some kind of male dominated brands. But if you want like the Lancomes, the Estee Lot, you're not going to get it with the thirst traps. So like if you're trying to really get those brand partnerships, it's not going to happen with the high-end brands because they don't really want that kind of image. And again. I'm not criticizing. I have friends who are on OnlyFans and they make lots of money and they show everything and they live their lives. I don't like, it doesn't bother me. It's just not something that I'm comfortable doing, but that's just me. And like, do I follow some thirst trap kind of people? Yes, of course. But then I'm like, but they're, what, how are you moving the needle forward? And again, maybe they are in their own ways. I don't really know, but I don't like right off the bat, I just don't see the impact. Again, no critique of someone who wants to do that. Like, I think you should do what feels right for you. Yeah, 100%. Okay, I have one last question for you. I always ask my guests this, and then we're going to go into the rapid fire round. But my question to you has a lot to do with the point of the podcast. I'm going to be cheeky in how is it called punny. So I'm pretty sure (laughs) you have had a moment in your life, a thought, a feeling or a situation where you felt like you were alone, or you were the only one to live it. So first of all, I want to know what that was. And secondly, what would you tell other people that might be feeling the same way or living in the same situation? Absolutely. So just to kind of reference the TikTok a little bit, because I know we want to talk about that. When I first went on TikTok, I had a lot of my stuff getting shadow banned because I was queer and the algorithm is, is like 
these companies that are quite homophobic, quite brown and black. So I was getting kind of like shut down in so many different ways. And I'm not the only one that experiences this, but I felt very lonely because I was starting, like, you know when you're starting something and you tell people and you're excited and they're like, that's never going to work. It kind of felt like that. I was like, at an uphill battle. And then once I found my footing, I was like, okay, I feel good about this. So if you're starting, don't start, again, don't start and be like, I'm going to go viral today. I'm going to have a million followers. That happens to some people. Okay. Do some people get on there and are like amazing? Sure. Like I had a friend who was like, I'm going to get on and get more followers than you. And she did. Okay. Great. Like she competed and she won. But I, that's not the world that I'm trying to operate in because I think my engagement is far better. It's like, I'm not trying to get involved in that. So I think it's, it's just a matter of like, just having that intention. Again. That will- I love that. I 100% agree. So would that be your message for people that are feeling that way? Just like focus on engagement and don't focus on followers or likes or mm-hmm. whatever vanity metric you're looking I at. love that vanity metric. Yeah, forget that. It's BS. <laughs> I love it. I didn't even ask you about your podcast, but oh well. I'm gonna ask you the rapid fire round Let's questions. Do it. Who knows? Maybe I'll have you on at some other point and we can focus it on podcasts. Love it. Become like a podcast superstar. Oh my god, thank you. <laughs> Thanks. Okay. First question. Who would you have over for dinner if you could? This could be a dead person, someone that's alive, or a character even. I think for me it would be Jackie Onassis Kennedy because I just wanna know what it's like to like be or Princess Diana, like anyone like with that kind of like, how do you deal with that level of publicity and PR? And like, it's like, how do you live your life like that? Like, because I've experienced it in a very minuscule way when I was on Heather McDonald's podcast. I mean, people had hate groups about me. I had to go private. I mean, it was just just so crazy. Like I was on all of these, like I was on TMZ. I'm like, I'm like, oh my God. Like, that was really insane. So I've never experienced anything like that before. So yeah, I think those are the two people. Love the two people. I love Diane. Okay. If you could describe yourself with one word, what would that be? Whimsical. It's on my license plate on my car. So it's always the word. <laughs> really? Oh, yeah. such a fan. Oh my God. Okay. Favorite type of food? Oh, sushi. Oh, yes. Love sushi. <laughs> okay movies what's your favorite movie there was a movie that natalie portman was in i don't know if you saw it called garden state that was the movie where i really fell in love with filmmaking it was so good with zach braff it's so good like she's just so good in the movie like there's a scene in the rain and it's just so good just watch it <laughs> i'm definitely gonna go watch that afterwards so good okay would you rather spend a year in jail or you lose a year off your life I think I would lose a year off my life because I think going to jail can be very triggering for your mental health. It can like, you can like, you're almost like frozen in time. And I think there's a lot of stigma attached to it, which is really unfair. And with like 50%, I don't know, whatever the numbers are of black and brown people who are in prison in the US, like it's not, I don't want to add to that demographic. So yeah. Morning or evening person? Night owl or morning person? Evening. I love being a night owl. Like I hate waking up early. Oh, I hate it. What's the last book you read? Oh, the last book I read was actually my friend's book, Reality and Chaos. It was really good. It's like a black version of Sex and the City. It was so good. Oh, is it out? I'm definitely always looking for books like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's by Monique Kelly. It's called Reality and Chaos. She's a dating expert, so the book is so good. Hold on. I'm literally writing this down. Reality and Chaos. I'm always looking for good books like that, and I was obsessed with Sex and the City, so definitely it's going on my list. Okay, last question for you, Amir. Who inspires you? 
You know what? It's like, oh, I just went into the mic. <laughs> so not me. <laughs> you know who inspired? I always think about this because people always ask, like, what's your role model? Like celebrities or, or like your family? I think for me, like my role model is my inner child. So like that child that was like kind of neglected, forgotten, made fun of, was bullied. Like people would always make fun of the way I talk. They'd be like, oh, you sound like a girl. You're disgusting. You're like a terrorist, whatever. I'm calling me the F word, like, you know, like, you know what I'm, F-A-G-G. So like calling me that and like just treating me like dirt. And I think that like, that's the person who inspires me. Every time I'm like, oh, I can't do this anymore. I'm going to delete TikTok. It's too much hate. It's too much work. I can't do it. I'm like, you know what you deserve? Like that person deserves that like 10 year old that was just like, what am I doing? Deserves you to keep trucking along. I love that. That's so sweet. I think that's like the best answer I've ever gotten. And I've gotten so many random ones, but I think that's honestly, you know, I can definitely relate to that. So go you, Amir. It has been honestly a pleasure. I feel like you have so many layers I didn't even get to discover. I could seriously (laughs) just continue talking to you for like ages, but we have lives to live in probably clubhouse rooms to join. So I'm not going to take up more of your time, but definitely if you ever want to come back on, I would love to talk about your podcast because we didn't get to do that. But I hope whoever is listening, you know, gets the lesson from Amir that, you know, just like raise your voice, talk about what matters and just be you because that's what people are after and for god's sakes please have a reason why and don't just want to like put random stuff on the internet to be famous so have a reason why have a meaning and do whatever you can to improve the world so thanks amir the link to your podcast is going to be linked so if anyone wants to check it out you can find it there if you want to i don't know if you prefer instagram or tiktok to be linked but whichever just let me know and it'll be linked as well in the description so you can gather more followers where people to influence with your content Oh, thank you. Yeah, both of those are good. And if you guys DM me, if you have questions, I'm open to anyone that any of your listeners that want to talk, hit me up. He definitely is. He is super friendly. I literally just messaged him randomly and I was like, do you want to be on my podcast? And he's like, yeah, sure. Let's do it. So lesson for all of y'all you know shoot your shot you never know what happens but i hope you've liked this episode you guys and i will see you next week and peace out everybody 